we on? Are we are we on now? Are we recording? Number nine, number nine, number nine. Are we? Hello? Oh, our guest would know. He runs a recording studio. That's right. That's right. We're in good hands today. Okay. Hey, welcome to the Manitobaville podcast. Uh, this is Mahangel. Today, we are talking to John Paul Peters, who is a privateer. A privateer, not that kind. Don't worry, he's not going to board your ship and take all your goods. In the name of the queen, he is going to record your, your stuff. He's got a private ear. It's a studio. Get it? Private ear. And he's going to uh, listen to what you're doing and make suggestions and help produce you into a better, better life, better way, better sound, and uh, make things more interesting. So... Uh, anyway, that's it. That's what we're talking to today from Private Ear Studios, John Paul Peters. And we're going to talk all about recording and stuff because it happens here in Manitoba. It happens. It does happen. And we hear it over and over and over because there's songs and there are different things that get recorded right here. World-class stuff. So, uh, yeah, speaking of world-class stuff, look for Manitobaville on your favorite podcatcher and on your favorite social media and uh, visit manitobaville.ca and you can uh, send us an email telling us that that big fat donation you just made is contingent on us visiting your community or doing something like that or talking to a certain person or, you know, it's not a bribe, I guess, but it's a, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're all privateers, aren't we? We're all the privateers there, Billy. Okay, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, that takes us right back to John Paul Peters, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a roundabout. And uh, so there. So we're going to get to this interview right away. It's a great interview. Uh, we just got this one little message break to take care of. And we will be hopping right into it. So stick around. It's a doozy. It's a doozy? What's a pirate saying? What would a pirate say? Arg, matey. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's our... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let me think of something. I'll uh, hang on. I'm gonna. We're gonna do an edit here because in uh, in ed, in sound recording you can do edits, edits, and this I think requires an edit until I think of something to say. So, just hang on. Again. Okay. Here it is. Avast ye, avast ye. Okay, and that means uh, pay attention and check this out. So do it. Check it out right now. Just uh, doing a little mixing. Just finished up uh, a remote mixing session with a band from New Zealand. And uh, now I'm off to do some hardcore. <laughs> I mean, some hardcore music mixing. Hardcore music. Nice. Nice. Does that still exist? Uh, the, like the music genre? Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Hmm. Uh, band's called Agapito. Okay. Hey, I mean, they're... They're kind of proggy, um, old punk, um, melodic. I don't know if I'd really call it hardcore. There's a lot of singing in there. Yeah. <laughs> Not just that kind of stuff. No, nope. yeah. no, but that does, that does exist. And I'm actually, we're, uh, comeback kid is slated to come record their new record, but we're kind of awaiting pandemic restrictions <laughs> and things like that. Oh, I thought that was the next hardcore band. Ha. 
<laughs> Definitely not the next, but they've, they've, they've had a good 17 years at it. Oh, no, I thought, I thought you meant they're called pandemic. Oh, gotcha. Uh, supposedly the most used word of the uh, dictionary for this next, this last year. Oh, perfect. I still yeah, remember right. it from The Wire, watching The Wire and the, the Corner Kids. And okay. uh, they always had to change what they called their product because it was always crappy. And uh, so they, they show them after uh, the guy gets advice from some economics guy. Oh, you just changed the name, you know, like these other big companies do. And so there's this panning shot of the corner and they're all, these kids are all yelling, pandemic, pandemic. <laughs> that was crazy. Well, hey, uh, just a question for you. So for recording purposes, um, mm-hmm. right now I'm on speaker. Yeah. On my but- is that okay or would you prefer if i if i just held the phone no this sounds really good here let's let me just give you the option i'm because i'm curious anyways okay sound engineer well always right so so this is this is the non-speaker version oh that's way better yeah but the other one was really good okay yeah yeah it's just it's just it always has to filter your talking to me against my talking to you so it's always going to have a little bit of Right. Extra right. software going on in this way, it's isolated. So if this sounds better, I'll just do this. Okay, yeah. No, I was talking to somebody. I think um, <clears throat> when I was talking to Willard Reeves, and uh, I, th- I think he was just on a normal phone, but every time I would talk to him, his would cut out a little uh, just for that oh, okay. half a second, and then it would come right back. But yeah, it was just kind of strange. But Well, if this sounds if this sounds okay, then, then that's awesome. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, it's not cutting. Okay, talk, and I'll talk over you. Okay, okay, sure. Talk, talk, yeah. That one too. yeah. I'm talking. Yeah. 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 So you can see if it's recording me differently. Yeah. It's not cutting out here at all. So it's, it's great. I should talk, oh, to, that's cool. talk to that sound engineers more often. <laughs> <laughs> Are you using um, like a software program to, to record directly in from, from the phone conversation? No, I'm using um, one of the new zoom boards with the, uh, uh, the, was it tip ring ring sleeve adapters? Oh, interesting. And it plugs straight into a channel and then a, then it converts to uh, just lightning connector for the iPhone. Yeah. Oh, so, so they actually sell a product for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the only one I've seen that has this ability. And it's if only. If you don't an, mind, it's shoot only me an, a link for. Yeah. It's only. Shoot me a link board, for that. So. Oh, okay. Sure. sure. Yeah. Because I'm, uh, I'm going to be, I mean, with, with the pandemic in progress, like I'm going to be doing a fair amount of, of remote mixing, which basically, so I'll want to have. I mean, I would typically just have my phone on a conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and by remote mixing, I mean, I want, like, I send the band a feed of my output. So yeah. when we're working on a specific section, you know, they can have a they can have a, a meeting. They can all be hearing me on their own computers, but then we would just be talking separately on Zoom. Right. But if we can kind of combine that all together and eliminate the interfaces, it's nice. Yeah, no, this, this would work perfect for you because, like, I got headphones on. I'm talking through a microphone. To record myself, my channel. Um, I got you up on channel eight, coming strictly through the phone. Okay. And uh, it's it's feeding back to you through channel eight. It does it all automatically. And I record. That's nice. And I, so I can record those two channels and the main channel stereo output at the same time. Oh, excellent! Yeah, sweet. So, and you, or you could select all of them to record at the same time too. You know, so whichever you want to do. So if you want to have a, you can even record your conversation with them while you're listening to the music. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Then you then you don't have to say what did they say when they heard that symbol crash? Did they like that or did was he being facetious? What tone of voice did he have? There you go. And they'll say, it was all, but it was all the channels were recording all the time. And then they'll say, "No, dude, that was just the drummer talking. Like, don't worry about it." 
we like the symbol crash. It's great. Yeah. But yeah, it'll, it'll solve a lot of those kind of problems for you for sure. It's the, awesome. I was always looking for from like the nineties and two thousands, the, uh, we'd use in TV is called the Getner. And, uh, it was one of those suction cup things you'd put on a phone to record the, uh, like uh, this, it wired into the board though, you know, just into a channel, but you would take a typical phone and then you would put suction cup recorders onto it. And then that would feed into the, uh, the mix and then into the anchor's ear and all that. Right. And of course it would have a particular sound because of the, the mm-hmm. size and shape of all that, that system you'd get, you'd be able to hear what people were saying, but it would sound very yeah. tubey probably. Yeah. It was last ditch. You know, if you couldn't get a reporter out to interview somebody, that was, that was like last ditch kind of thing. And I got this because some of the interviews I wanted to do were by phone and then the pandemic hit and then everything became by phone. So I thought, yeah, good move. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, how's your signal-to-noise ratio in life these days? Signal-to-noise, that's hard to tell. <laughs> um, I mean, it's there's a lot of noise and a lot of signals. And it's just kind of being on the being on the wait to try to figure out how our industry is constantly being affected is difficult. Um, so, so there's just, there's always that, but I mean, we're not starving to death mm-hmm. and we, you know, we're able to pay our mortgage. So at this point it's, there's sometimes there's a certain amount of space that, that seems to be there for us. Okay. In, 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 in having less clients to work with, but also knowing that, you know, we're not, we're not over the edge yet. So. Yeah. Yeah. Does it make it better? Like in that weird way where it's less, uh, it's less profitable, but you get more quality work in. Well, interestingly, yeah, I guess the, the, the real downside for us is the, because we, we were scheduled about eight months in advance before the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, that's not true. Uh, we were a couple months before the, in, before March, mm-hmm. but we had to move a bunch of projects um, once the lockdown restrictions came in place for our, for, for, um, okay. I guess, non-essential industries. Okay. And then, so then there was this, we had some post-production to do. So we were still working, but we really felt like everything had been moved. Mm-hmm. But once it came back online in June, we picked up so much work that we were booked into April of next year. Hmm. And like with pretty much no breaks, which was, which was great. And we were really excited about it. But then with the second wave, now that's all got, got thrown, but we've been, we've been going hard since June. Really? So, so, so we actually haven't been less profitable. Well, that's good. At least since we reopened, but now, you know, now will be another period again. Yeah, I guess pro- yeah, profitables. Uh, a lot of other businesses had to just completely stop. So you're lucky. Well, and, and music is well. We we did have to. You mean stop during summertime? No, I mean just stop because of the pandemic. They just had to, you know, a lot of a lot of companies shuttered, and you know. Well, the, we did. We did. Yeah. We were shut from, I don't know, March March fifteenth or something till like June third. Yeah. And uh, and then we were able to. We were able to bring in, bring in clients, but obviously under restrictions. So masks, hand sanitizer, we had to analyze our airflow in the studio. We had to have people in different rooms. So yes, we were able to continue. Um, fortunately, we also had a lot of 
projects that didn't require um, people to be here in person. So we had a lot of mixing and post-production projects going on. And, and then we did some intensive tracking projects that had a lot of post-production kind of attached to them. So it's not like people needed to be here all the time. Mm. So we've been, we've only had a few sessions under 10 where we've had, you know, five plus people in at a time. And that's always, that's always interesting with trying to figure out how to get people isolated. And, and most of the time, the projects that we have in the, the clients will be in a, I guess a quote unquote bubble. Mm -hmm. And now that's, now that's obviously not allowed anymore, but in the same way, but, but like a band would still be rehearsing and they would just assume, well, we are, you know, we're including these families of the pe of the of the people in my bubble in my band. So if they come in, I'm not as long as they say that they've been practicing together and have each other's diseases. Mm -hmm. If they're in a separate room from say us, then there was a certain workability with that. So by tradition, so, by tradition, you've always isolated the the lead singer, right? I mean, and is that like, for, so we is have that a number of, of the, rooms. But is that for a lot of the same reasons? <laughs> <laughs> um, like isolated this, this traditionally, singer from, the, yeah, tra from just, the rest of the band. I'm just making a dumb joke. Okay. I'm just saying traditionally the lead singer was always in the isolation booth, probably for a lot of the modern reasons. <laughs> yeah. Main reason is for sound quality yeah. is because th that room has special treatment in it that, mm -hmm. that keeps it, you know, dead to a certain extent. But I often, I often track singers in our big tracking room too. It just, yeah. it just depends. And if people are going live with a band, they can even sometimes track in there if, if it uh, if it's suitable, but so in some ways, like you know, obviously we keep the singer in the isolation booth, and I don't go in there, and we put you know fresh shock shock mound on the mic so they're not licking someone else's diseases, and uh, and then we you know flush the rooms out after for air and stuff like that. So that's been somewhat workable. I'm not like directly in front of people spit. Well, that's not very rock and roll, is it? <laughs> it's not not, not <laughs> See, a lot not a lot about this is you must get a lot of musicians feeling very strange in a, in a completely clean environment <laughs> you know i don't i don't think yeah. it's actually that yeah. that much different wearing yeah. the mask while you're playing is yeah is that would be weird yeah even just walking around i find it you know it's hampering my vision i feel like i'm drunk half the time trying to pick something up you know it's yeah you know it's just it's a it's a whole different aesthetic of of just being so I can, I can imagine trying to play an instrument or, you know, where you're using your peripheral vision a lot. But know. for singing, for singing, it doesn't work. Um, it's just, there's, there's too much. There's, there's actually like, there's going to be rustling at art audio artifacting just from the mask moving. And it's also not quite as clear. So for but, singers, we just, we just demask them. Well, won't that create a whole new sound? Like the pandemic sound? <laughs> Well, I often re I actually record backing vocals through paper sometimes. So, <laughs> oh, really? This yeah. is this is the new thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Dave, <laughs> take five. No, but I, I actually get I actually get backing singers to hold a piece of paper in front of their face. What's that do? Here, let's try. Um, it, try. It, it, it takes out it? certain it takes out certain frequencies from from the sound that the that the main vocal track would have. What kind and of so paper? It, like it, a piece of, of writing paper? Like uh, eight and a half by eleven, yep. Yeah, just the the standard. Okay. Standard, you got it. Yeah, and it's just it's one of many techniques to to just alter the tone in such a way as it, it's able to just sit behind without without fighting. 
just taking an estimate, a guesstimate, how many techniques do you have that are employed? <laughs> how, how many music? techniques? Oh my God. Every <laughs> yeah, thousands, eh? How do you learn definitely, about all, how do you learn about thousands. all these? Like, where does it come from? When did you start? What's your background? Oh boy. Uh, well, 2002, I would say, um, I guess observation, mentoring, collaboration with other artists, uh, YouTube videos, um, mixing tutorials, uh, trial and error, yeah. just, uh, yeah. And then you, you latch onto certain ones and you use them more often. And then you have these epiphanies and you incorporate a new tool and then I'll, I'll not use it for about a year and forget all about this new groundbreaking concept that I've discovered and then suddenly be awakened to it again. Yeah. So, yeah. So you have tools in your toolbox there for the, they're, 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 they're there for the right job, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've started trying to document those things more, more fully for myself so I can like my reference folder I, is a lot more complete. Now I, I go back and I enter a document and I write down what I just mm. did that I want to replicate. Right. Right. Like the old days when you had the boards where you had to, I guess you, did you even know those days with the old boards where you had to have the whole band in there to manipulate the knobs and faders and. You know. Well, I still, I've still got a big, big full frame console right in front of me. Yeah. Yep. Nice. It, uh, I don't use it for mixing so much, but it gets used for, for the tracking side of things with the band. Because of the quality of the sound? Um, well, it has, you still have to take a microphone level sound and you have to bring it up to line level, which is the, the kind of voltage that all the gear uses mm -hmm. and what the recorders use. And so in order to do that, you need a preamplifier and the console has a lot of preamplifiers. It also has equalizers and other kinds of routing and high pass filters and stuff in the console to manipulate the sound before it hits the system. So I can use the console or I can use other outboard equipment. It's just basically a lot of different channels in one big box and a lot of routing flexibility for me. Right. Okay. So I can take, I can take a microphone off, um, off a snare drum and I can, I can double it to another channel and I can affect it differently. I can compress it. I can, EQ it differently. I can bring it back into the system. And so I have these different ways to, to kind of treat the sound. And if you can get away, um, you know, with the laptop and an interface for a lot of this stuff, but there's a lot of writing that you would be doing like in the computer, uh, using plugins and, and it would get, it often gets really complex. Mm -hmm. So here I can get pretty close to a sound that I want to get uh, especially with a larger infrastructure project, like a full band or a full drum set or something like that. And I can, I can commit it. So then it, when it comes into my computer, into pro tools, um, it's already very close to what I'm, I'm trying to achieve with the sound. Wow. So, so, um, what does private ear mean? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly have no idea. Yeah. Uh, the studio, the studio existed before me. So, I'm yeah, a, it's like I'm a, a this is a legendary studio, right? Like back in the day. I mean, you know, maybe legendary for Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, think, I mean, I we're, think we're talking. This is this podcast called Manitobaville, so we're, well, exactly. <laughs> we're excluding Hollywood in this one. <laughs> well, and the the original building was actually only four blocks over hmm. from here. That was yeah. it was on uh, on Bannatyne and Ellen. Okay. Sorry, Dagmar. Dagmar, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right on the edge there. 
Somewhere around 1990, 1992 or so. Like I, I did my, my bands went in there to record, I think after 97, I think we did our first record there at the old studio. And they'd been around what, since the seventies? No, no, I don't think so. I think, I think 90, I think 92 or 91, somewhere around there. Really? Okay. I thought the Guess Who or Bird and Cummings recorded in there or something. Maybe some other studio. Oh, they they definitely did come in to do something at some point, but it wouldn't have been mm-hmm. in, in Guess Who Heyday. Yeah, yeah. Huh, interesting. So so uh, what prompted you to, when you bought it, what prompted you to make the move? Well, actually, I, I kind of, they had lost their lease at that building. So that was, I guess, 2006. Oh, okay. Yeah, 2006, and so the two previous partners had were going to part ways, and the gear had all gone into storage. And the 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 loss of the lease had happened within within days. Um, they were promised a renewal, and then it was reneged upon. So they they were totally just you know everything went into storage. Wow. And I heard I heard about it, and I was good friends with both of them. So I just uh, kind of proposed starting up a new thing. And, and so one of the partners, uh, Neil Cameron came with me and we started up here. So that would have been 2007. Okay. That we started, uh, at this place. So we, if we're in a leased space and, uh, you know, put in the lease, leasehold improvements and started the new chapter. Nice. So is it nice big rooms? Nice. Has it got a, its own sound? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, every room has, every room has its own sound. We, we had a certain ceiling height to work with here. And then we basically um, designed the space based around. So each room we could actually choose the dimensions and the heights and stuff like that. So there was a certain amount of control. I mean, we're trying to do it on a very humble Winnipeg budget for sure. Yeah. But there's a lot you can do eh? with the, the the floors and the walls that. uh, Yeah. So we have, we have 3,200 square feet. And it's just kind of divided into two suites, and uh, the biggest live room is just is around eleven hundred. Yeah. So, it, so is it quite busy? Like with bands, they're still able to access money to record and to uh, to do all that kind of stuff, or is it a lot of TV stuff now? You know, I do almost no. I do no TV stuff. Um, we've been doing some post production for for film and like for film specifically. Okay. So we've done some Hallmark some Hallmark and uh, we did uh, the recent Sean Garrity film. We did a lot of the post sound for that. So we've been having fun kind of exploring that world and definitely would like to do more in that realm as well. Just, I just, I like diversity and and I think music is still the number one for me, but yeah, yeah, we, we do no television shows, not that we wouldn't, but that's just never been a part of our business. Okay. What kind of music do you guys end up recording down there? I'd say pretty much everything. Yeah, like classical and quartets and all that too. Yeah, definitely. We've had a had a couple of uh, you know, um, couple classical quartets. We've done, I've done uh, pipes and drums. Oh wow! Yeah. For the for the for the Air Force band, um, we've done like we've done full jazz band sessions, small jazz sessions, eclectic instruments, percussion, didgeridoo. Um, 
Yeah. But I would say mostly it would be uh, single, like solo artists and bands. Okay. Fine. Kind of ranging, I'd say, independent music, um, hard rock, um, pop music, fair amount of hip hop, some pop. Yeah, like really all across the board. And, I, and that's one thing I really enjoy is, you know, I just finished working on this this one project that sounds like this. And now I get to kind of have fresh air and try something totally different. Yeah. It cleans out the brain. Eh? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, there's definitely people that find like certain niches where like when I started, I did a, I did the first comeback kid recording and that album, you know, it was done on the, on the dirt cheap in a basement studio, but that, that record took off and I ended up getting a lot of certain genre of, kind of music after that for a while and mm -hmm. and i really feel like even though i enjoy i still enjoy that that genre if i was just working with that it would be like i need to i need to change yeah yeah i feel that way too i like the podcast i get to do the same kind of aspect of work but i get to talk to different people <laughs> that's always yeah that's i was always i was i was really looking through yeah. all the different content on the podcast yesterday and just um excited to see a lot of the you know like the, the historic buildings i love i love old buildings and i noticed that there was a segment on that so yeah it was interesting and i'm fascinated with uh, the old mother tuckers yeah really you should have put your studio there oh no <laughs> not a chance too spooked <laughs> absolutely spooked yeah i would never i would never do that my brother had my brother had an office um for his design company for 23 years in an old Masonic temple, different one. This was at the corner of McDermott and King. Okay. And, uh, and that building, there was plenty of stuff happening at night. Let's just say. Really? Oh yeah. Really? Cause usually that's just apocryphal, isn't it? Like... Um, yeah. I mean, firsthand, firsthand knowledge from my bro, who's not, you know, yeah. he's not a crazy, he's not a crazy nut. He's like, well, this is what happens. And it doesn't, it doesn't really, we don't really, we're not really affected. Like he didn't care. We, we he didn't heard... care that there was constantly stuff going on upstairs yeah. <laughs> when there was nobody there. But <laughs> we, we that's, talk... just, that's just not something that goes for me. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. We talked to a guy who deals in antiques and, and uh, he goes into old buildings that are going to be taken down for whatever reason. And he gets the chance to go in and strip them of the good, all the good stuff, like the woodwork and the, the all that kind of things. And um, okay. He got to go into the Masonic when they were stripping it down. Did he go and he was talking to somebody there who said that even though all the electrical had been shut off at the ground level and the building was being was being um, demoed from inside to, to redo it, that on the very top floor, the very, very top floor, there's a light bulb that was on and uh, nobody could explain it. <laughs> so... Yeah. That's fascinating. Like like the time when the phone lines went down and they, they went to discover where the problem was and uh, there was nothing observable, but there was a cut in the line six feet underground. They had to dig down and it was cut with a knife. Wow. That's creative. It's like, well, okay, nice. How'd you, how'd you cut that? <laughs> At least that's the story. I wasn't there. Yeah. Oh, okay. But fascinating. Yeah, no, it's, it's strange. So that's yeah. So you avoid old creepy buildings and go for more. Oh, I like I like them. <laughs> I just wouldn't have a studio in one. Yeah, Steve Ray Vaughan had, uh... had that too. They said when one album he went to do in some studio, 
there was a buzz, a grounding buzz. In all of in every amp they tried, they rebuilt his amps, did everything, rebuilt his guitars, checked, you know, swapped out every cable, and um, couldn't get rid of this buzz. And then when they went, I don't know if they're gonna just before they were gonna bail or whatever, but then just stopped, and they were able to record, but nobody could figure out where it came from or why. Yeah, they. That's a. Uh, so I, I had an indigenous an indigenous couple in recently that was talking to me about like I had mentioned that we'd had. Well, I, I don't want to talk about it, but I there was something that scared me at some point because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm lightly scared by these things, and uh, they said, well, when you have a lot of electrical equipment, kind of and a lot of kind of current moving around, um, they said this would be the perfect place that would. That would kind of and in in their words it was attract the soulish realm okay so there's something about something about electrical current that becomes a potential conduit for passage of different kinds of energies that explains a and, lot of uh, tv stations and radio stations oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> a lot of soulless you know going on around there wow yeah okay so, okay. so and i've heard plenty of stories of studios too there was one time where where my band was actually mixing a record in vancouver and uh, the uh, the producer that was working on that record was his name was Neil King. He was from L.A., but he had mixed a record recently at Mushroom Studio, which has now been resold and it has a different name in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And that studio had all sorts of stories about kind of quote unquote ghostly happenings. And in particular, um, a bass player uh, had supposedly committed suicide in their live room oh, decades wow. ago. Is that a decades ago? Is that an oxymoron? I guess, uh, or a pun, well, or a play on something there. I, I, I have. Uh, some people would in would agree. Life, life. <laughs> I love bass players. It was the bass player <laughs> with the with, yeah, with the tuning pad yeah, in the live room. <laughs> I don't think I meant it that way, but but so so the story is like when he was mixing a record there late at night, mm-hmm. he was he had to push back from the console at least once because there was uh, some sort of release of energy that created a, a visual distortion in the air and passed over top of him. Wow. In and out of, in and out of the speakers. Huh. And, and, and then he talked to them about it and they were like, well, yeah, this is what happened in the past and we've had a few things happen. And one of the craziest stories, and this one I just absolutely love, is they had just put brand new tape on the tape machine in preparation for a session to happen the next day. And they got in in the morning and they fired up the tape machine and they could see that there was signal on one of the channels. And they, they said, well, what the heck is going on there? This is like, it's brand new tape. And they soloed it and they heard something and they turned it up and it was like distant kind of warbly bass playing on this, (laughs) on this channel on the brand new tape, yeah. which which is totally hilarious, but it's a great ghost story. I love it. Yeah, it's wild. Poor bass players, eh? <laughs> right. Are they Just frust- don't let them die in your studio. Are they frustrated trombonists? Oh boy, <laughs> I don't know enough about trombonists. <laughs> I don't know. I just made that up. I couldn't think of any obscure enough <laughs> instrument. <laughs> it's funny though. Like a lot of bass players, they say they were, they went into it because their older brother or whatever already played guitar and they needed a bass player for their garage band. And, um, and of course a lot of them move on to guitar, other instruments and stuff. But 
some of them really adapt to the instrument in a just a fascinating way oh yeah or it's or it's the other way around there's too many guitar players right so yeah so oh you're a guitar player well can you play bass in my band yeah, well just, i like the band so just sure. for a while yeah just can you just for a while <laughs> well and there's bands like that where yeah the guitar player moves over for a while and uh like uh and then they get i'm just about to, to mix this i'm just about to mix this um and uh, a record with agapito and and one of their one of their members jordan mcconnell is he's a he's a guitar luthier and an absolutely phenomenal guitar player mm-hmm. <laughs> and and a pipes player hmm. um i think i think i think it's called illusion pipes yeah okay i could i could be saying that, the, that wrong the irish that's the irish pipes. that's the irish pipes yeah. yeah they're they're a little well they're less volume than than the scottish less ones. Volume you can actually more... stand in front of it and listen yeah and more complicated or something yeah yeah. I don't. They're, they're, I don't know about more complicated, well, but you I, you are you are compressing air with your arm instead of blowing. Okay. Okay. So that's the difference. Yeah. Well, the bagpipes are blowing into the pipe into the bag, pushing air out with with your elbow at the same time. It's sort of like didgeridoo oh, gotcha. and then and then you're playing the notes and you're trying to create an even even out like the the air coming out, I guess, and that gives you your drones and your ability to whatever but i i heard i don't know irish people are funny because they'll say yeah these are the noodle pipes they're the more complicated bagpipe ha 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 we gave the other ones to the scottish guys and then they'll sit and play this stuff but they all sound great to me i don't know i think that's just well that's that's uh it's that's that totally makes sense i hadn't thought of it and now that i'm thinking of because we filmed jordan playing a a short piece on remembrance day Mm -hmm. and uh and i was watching his arm movements yeah. And yeah, I guess I guess that's probably you probably need a little bit more skill there than than blowing in. But I will say that the the Scottish ones are virtually impossible to keep in tune because of the humidity inside. Right. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Every, and why was I why was I talking about that again? Oh. I was gonna. Oh yeah, I was gonna make a point. But Jordan, being an excellent guitar player, but he plays bass in Agapito, mm-hmm. which is like a progressive, you know, heavy music outfit okay but he plays guitar in other projects but this you know bass players can be can i mean there's guys like marty Thiessen, local local bass hero that are absolute top of the game julian bradford and i mean these guys play bass like there's no you you wouldn't think oh man you should be playing guitar because you're so mm-hmm. good it's like no you're you're taking the most out of that instrument mm-hmm. and that's it can be done for sure yeah I or was... you can play three notes and I always get a kick out of people that they'll sit down, play bass for a while, and then go over and play some guitar, and then go and play piano, and then sit down with the drums for a while. And it's just like, oh man, that's like crazy skill set. You know, yeah, there you just go. To spread around. Oh, Spider, remember Spider Streetheart? Yes. Yeah, just amazing. For sure, everybody everybody knows that guy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of tape machines with warbly bass on it, do you guys still ever use old uh, tape machines, multi tracks to record to? You know, it's, it's pretty rare. Like we do have a, we have a 16 track. Um, and most projects, people don't want to pay for the, they don't want to pay for the tape and you can, you can run a reel like a certain amount of times, call it a rental reel or something like that. But what we've found is just, uh, with, with the amount of ability for tone shaping in the digital realm now, and not just the digital realm, but with other outboard gear, there's just less and less of a need. Yeah. Like for the, the the esotericness of it is is cool. It's it's nice to think about, but in practicality, um, 
in practicality, things take so much more time. And honestly, the biggest problem we have right now as from a business model is it costs too much money to keep the machines running. Right, right. Um, every time we have a project that's going to use it, um, something goes before it, like a resistor on card number six of the playback. Like mm. something happens and there's so few technicians yeah. now that are that are able to service that stuff so back in the in the in the good old days i suppose there there was a a lot more technicians and b it was the only way to do it so there were people there that knew exactly what to do like a gentleman from the cbc chris mcpherson is probably one of the smartest people that you'll ever meet and if if i would tell him this is what the machine is doing he's like oh yeah and he he his brain sees mm-hmm all of the circuits and he knows and he say, Oh, it's probably this capacitor needs replacing. And this is what's happened. And you might have a, like a fault, a ground fault on this terminal on that card. He can, he can see that. Right. And that's, that's just so few and far between. So guys like that, they just don't have time to do house calls anymore. You know, three mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning. Oh, I can't record to my tape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which sucks because yeah. that's the world we're living in right now. If stuff's not working, you throw it out. But that's the ghost in the machine. It's saying, hey, your music's not ready yet. Go think about it. And don't think about it. Use your subconscious to think about it. But the machine's just not going to work for a while. You're going to go away. You're going to have a little life experience. You're going to come back and go, hey, guys, you know what? Try this. And yeah. Then, and then you got a number one hit. I mean, you know, does that make sense? <laughs> I mean, sometimes the hardships, right? Here's a pandemic, you know, like I can only imagine the music that's going to come back after all this. People are getting just, they're stuck at home. They're in a, you know, living in a van. I have a friend living in a van, trying to write music in his van. It's like, well, that's where you were when this whole thing hit. And like there there could be amazing things that come out of it, of course. But yeah, no, I, so back to the analog, back to tape. I love the idea of tape. Mm-hmm. it's just there's the extra costs and the wait times and stuff yeah. have made it difficult to to feel the confidence that we can like go ahead with sessions and with digital it's you have a high enough sample rate now that it, it's probably getting pretty close isn't it um i mean it's it's actually to to be nerdy sample rates not so much the issue it's it's more understanding how the medium like what you're getting with digital so the the quality of the conversion like creating the zeros and ones out of the out of the audio that's that's better than it used to be mm-hmm. but that's been that's been pretty good for 15 years mm-hmm. so so really what you need what we need to understand when they moved to digital initially there there was definitely a loss of something but yeah. we now know when we think about what people are used to hearing and what they want to hear and understanding what you know what digital is capturing versus what analog is capturing that you can you can compensate for like all of that in different ways. So basically a, a hot, let's, let's assume that the conversion, which is basically turning your electric signal from a microphone into zeros and ones, as opposed to moving magnetic, um, moving uh, like iron molecules around on a tape mm-hmm. to, to get your, to get your signal recorded. We'll just assume that, that the, the quality of the digital capture is good. We're capturing everything. And, and in the analog world, like to tape, tape was not capturing everything. So tape was, was 
giving a softer high frequency. Tape was also incapable of producing below 40 hertz. Mm. So there's a number of things there that are, and then there's the saturation and compression that the tape naturally gives, but, but it's actually quite lossy, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And digital is giving you too much. It's like taking uh, portrait photos at one o'clock in the afternoon in the winter sun. Yeah. You know, you yeah. got one little pimple, it's showing up. Yeah. Yeah. But if you take that picture at seven o'clock PM, when this, the light is getting diffused by dust in the atmosphere, your, your portrait looks better. So in a way that's what analog did. And if we approach digital understanding that we're actually getting too much and we're going to be getting rid of this stuff and that stuff. So it turns it around for you then instead of trying to get something with tape, you're trying to, to, to back it off with digital then. Yeah, you totally, that's totally yeah. the nail on the head. Yeah. So, huh. so with, with, with tape, it was always like, well, you got to get more treble because it's getting rolled off. Uh, mm -hmm. We got to get more detail. And so we need to, we need to build microphones that give us more detail. We need to have noise reduction so that we can crank the, the presence up without it getting hissy. So mm -hmm. you're constantly fighting against tapis. So hmm. anyway, lots you can do. And, and I actually, I should say one thing I use our tape machine. So our 16 track, it has a lot of, a lot of iron on it, meaning it has a lot of transformers um, and not, but what those transformers are doing is they're, they're creating, they're creating a tone as the, as the current runs through those things. Okay. And even, even without running the tape, I will run stuff through those transformers and back into my system. Oh yeah. And I'm, get, I'm getting the sound of that iron, which is a big part of kind of a classic yeah. rich full bodied golden kind of tone. I'll say the ultimate filter then. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like an Instagram filter. Like, so, and every machine is different, right? So tape, if you say, well, what does tape sound like? Well, a cassette tape, um, has a totally different sound than a Studer 24 track. Uh, the Studer 24 tracks are very clean machines. Mm. They're, they're, they're adding a little tape saturation, but they're not adding a lot of flavor. Our mm. machine is a, it's an Ampex uh, branded machine. And that machine is 60% the transformers and 40% the tape. Mm. Well, maybe it's more like 40, 60. The point being is that, is that like all of these machines are different. My, my friend Micah uh, has a studio up in Matlock, uh, Manitoba, and he's he he loves like buy the old tape. So he's got old eight track tape machine, and and we've you know working with him is the first time I ever actually mixed a digital record to a cassette. <laughs> we actually we actually ran four cassette decks at one time, yeah. and and then recorded all those back into digital and chose our favorite sound for each song in the mix down. So, so we can't, so tape has a plethora of different sounds that we can get from it. But just cause we use a tape machine, it doesn't necessarily give us Instagram filter A or B. Yeah. Yeah. I get, well, it's all in the quality of everything going through it too. The, the nature of the sound, mm -hmm. the nature of, you know, and, and the inconsistencies, right? That's, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of hijacking a comment that Micah gave me last night, which was basically like, it's those inconsistencies that make, that make the old versions of tape quite special. Mm -hmm. 
All right. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, we're speechless now. This is amazing. It's like it's like can you imagine if every if every tree on the street had the same had the same trunk and yeah. the same branch location? Yeah. You know, you'd look at that and think, oh man, that's really odd, right? Mm-hmm. We we need to see inconsistencies. Otherwise we don't think something is natural. Mm-hmm. So it's those inconsistencies that bring plausibility plausibility to the sound. Okay, I'm gonna have to. You're gonna have to transcribe this for me because I need to remember what I'm saying right oh, now. <laughs> just subscribe to the podcast, man. You can listen to it anytime. For sure. Done. <laughs> After a long day when your mind's really loose, you just go, okay, let me just filter that through here. But I guess that's why people like going to a live performance too, because you can play. You know, a lot of people say, "I'll oh, just play the record if I want to hear it done right." But if you want to hear it done differently, you go to a live performance. And even if it's yeah. as close to the record recording as it can be, it's still different. It just is. That the, the guitar player, the drummer, singer, they're not doing exactly the same thing. Even from show yeah. to show. Even from you know And it, maybe it's better maybe it's better in some ways, or maybe it's different, or maybe it Yeah. Or maybe it doesn't satisfy you the same way, but that's that's the excitement. But it allows you to hear it differently, at the very least. And you can go from there, right? And however you take it. So I mean, I know people who can't, I actually know someone that can't really stomach going to live performances because they're worried that it would be too different from what they're used to on the record. Yeah. I, I don't like going to live performances because they say you have to sit there and you have to stay still and you have to behave. And it's like, uh, it's rock and roll. Like, what, you know, like, seriously, I can't move. <laughs> you know, the whole point of the music is to make me move. And so I, I just like, you know, whatever, good luck. I hope they get enough people going to pay tickets. I'll just, you know, I'll just put the record on and whatever. But, yeah. but you know, it's like, a, I don't know. It's, it's got real, real strangely corporate and non, non-emotional in a way. It def- definitely can. Yeah. I was going to so ask you. you would have, you would have, you would have gone back to the Albert back in the day and, and. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it, i just remember that that venue is being a very visceral experience every time yeah it's like how much sweat is there going to be is the is the bathroom <laughs> going to be enterable <laughs> or the old punk rock days you know where sid vicious invents spitting on people you know oh and, my and, goodness, and they yeah. like it and it's like okay well that's a whole different scene now we're, we're spraying beer on people or whatever you know those well, kind and of now shows. and now there's and now we're we're going to be we're going to come out of this pandemic hyper germ focused probably <laughs> yeah people will get very angry with things they wouldn't have gotten angry with before yeah you'll have to spit um you can't spit spit you have to spit like a a, what do you call it cleaning agent or something (laughs) right spray i'm I'm thinking of that punk rocker uh johnny puke you know he he was known for puking on the audience at shows well how how is he gonna have a career anymore yeah yeah he'll have to get a fake one and then spray like sanitizer over everybody right pink sanitizer or something (laughs) <laughs> wouldn't be the same <laughs> yeah too clean too clean you suck <laughs> oh brother so of, of all the genres you produce then do you do top 40 as well do you do like number one hits <laughs> well i've never produced a number one hit um that's that's so dependent on on the machine and yeah. what what floats to the top but yeah no i do i do top yeah. 40 actually i'm working with a client in uh in Montana, we've been working together for a couple of years, putting a collection together and, and, uh, that one's getting, getting released with some quite notable folks at the helm. So that's pretty neat to see. And that one will be like straight to XM. Yeah. And, 
Yeah. That's, a, that's a whole different world now. Eh? Like back in the day, you had rock stations or classical stations or pop or whatever, and and it was like based on airplay and then album sales, and you get to number and everybody knew you were at number one because that you heard it everywhere. And now mm-hmm. it's like oh, we were at number one on chart Z three nine over there in that specific genre. We're played all over the place on XM, and people would be looking at you going, "I've never heard that song." I didn't even know it existed or anything about the band or the player. You know, it's just, it's a weird. I, I think I it's, know. I personally think it's, it's great because if you want to find it, it might take a little more work to get there and you might never find all of those artists that you're, you know, it, it, there'll be some elusive one that'll pop up. And it's, I think it's a great way to like, for people that are actually into music, mm-hmm. there's so much amazing music to find. Yeah. out there now and back in the day when you knew exactly who the number one is that's i mean i'm just going to come out and say that that's when the record labels were basically programming yeah and, and coercing whatever's this is this is basically going to be number one right now like these are the ones we're focusing on and nobody else even gets a chance mm-hmm. so so now with with streaming um in many ways it's a much more level playing field which is which can be extremely daunting for an artist to break through mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, uh, Joe Blow, whoever, can have their song on Spotify. And you know what's fun about it is uh, like when Apple or whatever, they opened up the floodgates and said, okay, label, put all your music up. And the label goes, oh, I guess we don't have to just put up the top sellers. We can put up the whole catalog now. We're finding music right. from the 60s, 70s, 50s, 80s, 90s. Though we never had a chance to hear before. It was It was hard to access that. If you weren't in the right record, obscure record store at the right day to buy that one album that was sitting there to discover it. And now it's, you can just, you know, people are referencing it now because they're hearing it or they remember. If an artist says, oh, I remember back when we were touring with uh, whatever band, and you're going, whatever band, what are they all about? And then you can actually now go look it up, find it, you know, listen to it on YouTube or something and then and, and have the option to purchase it, <laughs> which is, <laughs> you didn't have that back in the 80s. You know? Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Yeah, so everything's opened up now. It's 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 too big. Well, it's, big. it's really big. <laughs> it is it is dauntingly big. It's yeah. it's completely dauntingly big, and there's a lot of noise to filter through, and and that's why, you know, that's why people rely on playlists and radio stations. Mm-hmm. I mean, myself too. You know, if I'm if I'm going to go and uh, and ride my pandemic bicycle in the basement, <laughs> uh, and I want to listen to some music, well, what am I going to do? Probably grab a playlist that someone else has made no you're gonna give up and put on rumors again <laughs> what's that you're gonna give up and just put on rumors again <laughs> it was pretty good <laughs> there's times like that yeah i know what you mean it's, it's sometimes you want to go find stuff and then sometimes you're just like yeah just uh yeah just give me one of my favorites or whatever what are what are your you know favorites? one one way that one way that i find music a lot is sorry to no, i just wanted fine. to say is is like I don't because I'm working with music all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of the sad thing when I'm on my way home, or when I, you know, when I get home from working on music, it's not usually my first thought to like find find a new artist. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, and listen to a new artist. So that's kind of sad in a way. But I I get introduced to a lot of projects from from the variety of of, of artists that I work with, and you know. I, I, I get new, you know, new folk projects, new metal projects, like all these different artists that 
so I'm kind of getting a filtering down of people that each of these artists like that I work with really respect mm -hmm. and I'll, you know, I'll pull them in to use as, as kind of reference and suddenly I'll latch to one or, or another. And so a lot of the music that I kind of listen to again and again, or keep on file has been introduced to me through, through my clients, which yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a good or a bad thing. It just, it's, it's less me going out and finding it and more people saying, what are you, what do you mean? You've never heard of this person or, or this band or something. Yeah. And then suddenly I'm like, why have I never heard of this? This is fantastic. Exactly. So, and then plus you're working with new artists all the time anyway. So what do you need to oh, find yeah, new for artists sure. for? They're right there to your office. Yeah. Yeah. So what I mean, you... I remember being introduced to, to death cab for cutie probably when I was working in a, in a small like project studio working with a female client and totally different music, but she just said, you got to listen to this band. Mm -hmm. And I listened to them and it didn't, it did not hit me right away. But four years later I heard them again and I remembered it and it kind of opened the floodgates of like, you know, really kind of learning all the material from the band. Neat. Neat. What are your favorite bands? Look for your albums. What, what albums, when you need to be totally inspired and you're just feeling, I don't know how you'd be feeling, but, you know, when you're when you're going to your collection and you just want to listen to something that's guaranteed, what kind of what what kind of things do you pick up? Listen to something that's I you know, it's I do often I guess it's a it's kind of a toss up between listening to stuff that, you know, if I want to be nostalgic, I might listen to stuff that I was really into when I was, you know, sixteen to twenty years old. And it it's for me it's it's pretty mood based, I would say. Mm -hmm. I try to and and I'm I'm terrible with favorites, so I'm not even going to go there. Like I, I uh, I like way too many way too many artists, and I would just yeah. I I can't pick a favorite for the life of me. What genre? If you're going to put on a genre station, then say you're going to go ride your bike and you just want a a type of music. What's your first, what what kind of things would you go to? Or well, I guess that's the same answer, right? Anything. <laughs> if if I'm riding to relax, yeah, you know, I might uh, I might see see what's going on in Folkland. If I'm, if I'm uh, doing a, a race on Zwift, I might, I might, uh, I might throw on a metal playlist or, or something like that. Um, you know, and then of course I can choose between classic metal or, or I'll pick a band and, and kind of um, just listen to artists like it. I, I like to use my listening time to hear new stuff and then kind of see where that, see where that goes. Um, but isn't there, isn't said, there one album that makes you energized? Like that is just that'll like guaranteed to repump you up to reactivate everything in you. That's all about music or life I think what, in general. I, just, I think what, what activates me would be, there's a certain, you know, a, like certain nostalgia factors. And yeah. I would, I would say death cab for cutie plans record, you know, really gives me certain feelings. I mean, I love, I love the Beatles stuff. Um, but I wouldn't listen all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I like jazz records, so I'll just, I'll leave mm -hmm. it at that. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. The man of the music. Or if I want, if I <laughs> want to go ripping around outside of my mountain bike, I might listen to something as ridiculous as Andrew WK. As who? Andrew WK. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. From back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> not, not even that long ago, but yeah, yeah like Is he... 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Is he still doing this? <laughs> Uh, I think Man, he was at least three years ago. I mean, he's been a motivation, motivational speaker and, um, you know, I just, I just like the, the pompous ridiculousness. Yeah. Of, yeah. 
of his music. That's wild. Okay. Um, I was listening, I was watching his documentary on music in the, um, uh, it was like the days of King George the first. So this would be back in the 1600s, the 17th century, late 17th century. And they're playing music from those days. Um, like the, uh, orchestra and they're, and they're playing this stuff and it's and all this. And, um, and as, as commenting on it, saying, you know, that sounds a lot like Metallica, not, 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 no, not Metallica, more like, um, Iron Maiden and, and like Judas Priest and those guys. And I, oh, for sure. I, I, I think the Metallica reference is, is good for yeah. that actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I was explaining to whoever I was talking to, I said, you know, it must've been really boring for uh, big orchestras when, you know, Metallica in, in their room would be going, Hey man, let's record with an orchestra. Wouldn't that be crazy? And they're all like, yeah, that'd be wild. wild. You, you, you find one that'll do it with us. And then, so they chart their music, send it over and some, you know, it, the conductor would be like, Oh guys, these, this band wants to play with us. And they'd be, Oh, what's the music like? And so he'd, they'd probably play it and they'd be show the charts around. They're probably like, Oh yeah, we can do that. That's, that's what we do every day. <laughs> you know, oh no kidding you know so no kidding it's probably blasé for the orchestra but totally exhilarating for the band in a way <laughs> i mean and it, it depends it depends too like i are you familiar with uh well i'm sure you're familiar with harry potter yeah but the yeah. the music is actually so technically difficult yeah uh for the for the orchestra so you know last i think well last year and the year before there were the the, the winnipeg symphony was doing some episodes of of you know where you watch the Harry or you mm-hmm. watch the film and then you listen to the soundtrack uh, getting played live and uh, a number of the musicians told me that that that's some of the the most demanding material they've ever played yeah because of the the number of glissandos like they mm-hmm. are going up and down and up and down and up and down constantly and uh, so strenuous as well like technically oh, advanced plus physically oh, completely yeah. strenuous and live yeah. and they were saying you know we're just we're just trying to hit 80 percent of the notes yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't don't repeat that to anyone i thought they played everything perfectly well they're probably they're probably just telling you that would you think i thought it was fantastic no. that was 80 percent, man if you ever saw this at 100 you'd be blown away we didn't we didn't I even think... we didn't even do it at 100 because we wanted you to survive so right you know we're doing you a favor man (laughs) (laughs) i think it's like if you're if you're playing 120 notes in in three seconds and you're going you're going up a scale right if you if you encounter one little clump of grass on the way up and miss your note it's probably not a big deal yeah exactly (laughs) i'll skip that note and get there and probably a lot of catch-up too like you say, if yeah, I was, I was thinking about your example of, uh, you know, classical to say some metal music. And I, I also think, you know, bluegrass mm-hmm. and, and a lot of punk rock. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost exactly the same type of, it's almost exactly the same songs. Yeah. Just different instrumentation. Well, it's like that similar, gin, that gin and tempo, juice song, uh, gin and juice by Snoop Dogg or whatever. And then that bluegrass outfit did it. Oh, okay. Have you heard that one? I haven't actually. I can't remember who the band is, but yeah, you have to Google that and just gin and juice and and do, get pick the one that isn't Snoop Dogg, and uh, <laughs> I think you'll just laugh. But it's yeah, it's like uh, it's just the world of music's like it's all mood driven. So do you want you know you're listening to the same kind of stuff? It's just what instrumentation, what energy do you want with it? Yeah, I mean we've you know Western music's got twelve you know twelve notes, and mm-hmm. we just we work with that, and so like as if there aren't like corresponding um patterns like there's and harmonically and sonically there's and when you think about a violin like so i'm i'm a violin player first okay and 
when 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 you're pulling the bow across the string, you're actually creating you're creating an extremely complex waveform. So the the sound that comes off it has like a huge amount of harmonics due to the way that the 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 hair on the bow is digging at the string and all of these these um, different harmonic textures. It's actually very similar in some ways to distortion guitar. Mm-hmm. So where where a, like a clean guitar signal, you have a fairly simple waveform with with like the harmonics above it determining kind of, so you can tell, oh, it's a Fender Strat or, oh, it's a Telecat or, you know, or it's a Les Paul or whatever mm-hmm. when you listen clean. But then you you add the harmonic distortion to it and it kind of, it adds all sorts of other textures that interplay with each other. And in a way, like stringed instruments, especially when they're playing those, you know, big parts all together, kind mm-hmm. of like what you were talking about with the Metallica reference, there's mm-hmm. there's definitely a tonal similarity as well between between bowed strings and distorted guitar, in my opinion. So that's why you don't have to distort violins. You wouldn't put them through a Marshall because you don't have to. You know, yeah, it's uh, I I really never have. It doesn't it doesn't sound great. Yeah. But now I'm gonna go try it because. Well, like banjo, I asked a banjo well, player once. I was like, "Why don't you put a pickup there and put it through the fuzz box and have fun?" And they're like, "Well, it's, first I die from the feedback." <laughs> but, but if it, but if you could room it, if you could put it in a different room, you know, the kind of well, fun and, you and the thing, yeah, yeah, you could. With a banjo, I think one really cool thing about that instrument is the amount of dynamic it has. Yeah, it's 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 a pain in the ass to mix sometimes, but it really like. If if you if you add distortion to it, you can use that for detail, but you also can lose some of the the the, the quacking and and punching that the instrument gives. And so I think that's probably why people don't typically use distortion on it because it it kind of takes. I feel like if you can add character or personality with an effect, then there's a reason to go there. But if it takes away kind of the inherent value in I mean, and it's totally mm. subjective, right? But if yeah. it takes away from the inherent value in in what you're doing, unless you're taking it into a totally different world, it might. It's often not worth it. Mm. Is it is it something you try sometimes? Like, or is a is a one of your one of your? Oh, I try. I try stuff. <laughs> I yeah. try stuff all the time, and uh, just you to know. see, yeah, just to know. Or, yeah. yeah, and and very often it's like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll have clients and I'll like, hey guys, I got this great idea. Can I have one minute to try it? Yeah. Sure, yeah, go ahead, JP. Sweet, this is gonna be awesome, right? <laughs> and I plug in a piece of gear and I'm like, check this out. And we listen to it. Uh, everybody looks at each other and is like, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you want, know what I mean? Yeah, you want to do the headphones, right? <laughs> Just I, when I used to... no, it, no, I, I, mean, I, I want I want my clients to know that like oh, it doesn't. Yeah, I'm yeah. not I'm not god of what I'm doing yeah, here. Yeah. Like I I don't know all the answers. I don't always have the right solution and mm-hmm. I I like that honesty and like I can say, "Oh man, that sucked." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. know, and and that way they're more comfortable to try stuff yeah. and realize that they're not going to get. You know, there's so many people that come to work in the studio or come to work with me that that are worried about using a the right language or like not playing the wrong thing because yeah. they think they don't think that that's something that either I would approve of or that people should do. Mm-hmm. And I want people to feel like they can try out anything. Yeah. And language, and you not, can't, you're you not going to get judged on it. Yeah. And you can't always find the right word. A lot of times I'm describing things to people in, in feelings or emotions or something like just something where you can, where I can get a grip on it to, to get across to somebody. And 
you know, there's not but, always but a lot of people, word yeah, what they won't, they, yeah, but they feel like, well, yeah. I don't have the words, yeah, so I just won't, I won't say anything. They feel underqualified I, then to express themselves. Oh, exactly, yeah. exactly. And the thing is, is you're a listener, you've been listening to sound mm-hmm. since you were a baby, so mm-hmm. you're perfectly qualified, yeah, to describe what you're listening to. I don't care if we're using a different language, so yeah. try, why don't, why don't we, and then I'll talk about like, like, what are words that you know, give me words that that are emotionally connected to that or or colors or something like yeah tell yeah. me that, that that sounds brown and and yeah. stinky yeah you know as opposed to like uh harmonically lacking at 300 hertz like nobody cares about that <laughs> yeah. then i'd be like well actually it's not 300 hertz it's more like 240 so yeah. like let's not even talk technical yeah just describe it like yeah. this tone is way too blank and then that helps me to be like, oh, that's not what you want. Here, let's let's try to. What would you like? Well, I want it to sound like, like a glass palace. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is definitely not it. So let's try this. Mm-hmm. Let's try work in this direction. And then we're, now we're communicating. Yeah. And I think once we can break that barrier, then then people are, you know, I want people to be comfortable to describe. Yeah, to, comfortable to describe sound and not worrying about the right, you know, the correct speech. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Period. Let's drop the mic. Boom. Done. <laughs> do you have, do you have people come like a lot of assistance and like, how do you mean somebody who comes to work for you? Oh, sorry. I think I was just implying like, or people that work with you or, yeah. or artists that are working with me. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, we have, we usually, we usually have an assistant, um, either, either through like, we've had a number of different interns through, through various schools and through uh, through universities and things like that, like Canadian Mennonite, we've had a number of hmm. interns there, and we also have like lots of people that that just want to learn stuff. So we can very often find, you know, find a place and a time for for help to be given for kind of return for observation and kind of technical teaching and stuff like that. Um, my most recent, I guess I'll call him my intern, but has has really brought me into the world of pour over coffee and, you know, used to own several coffee shops and yeah. stuff like that. And, um, so I'm, I'm teaching him about, about production and he's teaching me about <laughs> like weight of coffee and, uh, you know, roasting very vari- varieties and variability and oh, neat. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Nice trade-off. <laughs> and I do like coffee, but now I'm, now I'm getting nerdy about it. Yeah. I'm getting off the caffeine. I've been off it for a while. It's good. Good. Oh boy. <laughs> but um do you have a lot of do you have producers then that rent rent your facility as well that come yeah we definitely do that? yeah yep um i would say probably probably 10 sessions a year you know lots of people with that that collaborate that have you know maybe either have their own stu- home studio spaces or smaller spaces and they need to have a bigger place to record um you know, record drums in a bigger space or just use the infrastructure mm-hmm. um, as well. People that, that, you know, want a little bit more aesthetic place to meet with clients. So stuff like that. So we have, there's a number of people that, that we are either, you know, friends or engineers that often bring their projects in for a day here or a day there, you know, track some vocals on this day or whatever. So we definitely do that. And then sometimes we've got, you know, the week or two long uh, tracking rental kind of things where a producer will fly in and work with the project. But I wouldn't say that's, that's the biggest part of our business model. Mm-hmm. 
it's definitely something that we thought was going to exist more um, when we started this place. And then we found that like, although those sessions occur, they're not like the work that I do is it far outweighs just in volume, the amount of work that we, you know, when there's a rental, we're like, that's great. We can take a few days, you know, take a few days off and recover right. or, or do some business development or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, but it's not the, it's not most of the time. Yeah. Okay. Back, back when the old private ear existed, I think, I actually think that outside producers coming in to record there was probably 50% or more of their, uh, of their business. And but that's that's really before the explosion of home studios yeah. in you know 2002 to 2005. And that would have been project based, where a band lived there for a month. Ah, uh, well, they, yeah, you know, like, they, they wouldn't have lived there. Not lived there, but that would have been their home base while they're making an album, or yeah. yeah so they sort yeah, of they sure. sort of move in and take over, and then when they're done, they move out, and somebody else comes in, like more long term yeah. kind of stuff. But yeah. now it's... And we definitely, we have a couple of those a year. Like we, there's a producer from Montreal that's done about three records here and a couple others. And, you know, they'll rent the space for eight days and come in and track their project and then head back to head back home to Montreal. And either the couple of members of the band go out there to finish things off or whatever. But mm -hmm. those, those still happen, but it's a couple of weeks a year kind of thing. Yeah. That was too bad. Different lifestyle. And now, lifestyle. now that's not happening at all for sure. Yeah. Yeah, never mind coming from Montreal <laughs> for any reason. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're we're uh, we're booked to go uh, on a ski trip in in a, in a week. Yes, yes, I'm doing it. Yeah. And unless unless the borders close, we've been very like we're very careful with sticking under the regulations and just trying to not just stick to the letter of the word, but like mm -hmm. you know, in keeping with the intention of yeah. you know not spreading this damn virus around. Yeah. But my kids are. We've had to cancel. Um, we, we had our kind of lifetime Disney trip booked for November mm. from last year. <laughs> wow. And obviously that was canceled yeah. and we, there's no way we would have gone. We, we just had to wait to cancel until we found out if we'd get our, our money back. Um, and we were also supposed to go to Moab, um, to do a bunch of mountain biking back in spring hmm. with the kids. Uh, cause my, my kids are 13 and 15 mm -hmm. High energy, and yeah. you know, two, two trips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. High energy. Two trips we were really looking forward to got canceled. Yeah. And we're like, well, what can we do that is basically just us as a family? And so we rented a condo and at Red Mountain in BC for, for a week. So if the board is closed in the provinces, we'll all be crying. Yeah. <laughs> but you're going to, you, do you drive out there or do you? We're, we're going to drive. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's no, I wouldn't get even going in airport. No, exactly. Right now, yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say. That way you can keep real safe. Yeah, yeah, 24 hour drive. The kids don't even care. They're like, we don't, we yeah. don't, we want to go there. So, <laughs> got a got a condo. It's got a kitchen. It's mm -hmm. got, you know. So we don't. All we have to do is go shopping, and sit on lifts. Yeah. So perfect. And fingers that, crossed. And yeah, skiing is like the most socially distant thing. Even cross country skiing is safe because you're not ready with anybody. You're you're on your own. Yeah, except for the chairs. Mm -hmm. You know, like you don't want to be sitting on a three person chair with two people that you don't know at this point. So I, I would imagine they'll have kind of some guidelines in place Yeah, they, for that. Otherwise, you know, and if it's a four person chair, as long as we're on it with our family, we're, we're yeah. good each time. So, and we haven't gone skiing in, in years and the kids just love it. So that'd be good. Yeah. F fingers crossed. 
Sorry yeah. to diver diverge from the, the content of the podcast. Here. No, that's all content. Life's content, right? <laughs> Just trying to talk about like, okay, yeah. I, another thing I'm going to mention, having having our commercial space at this time. Mm -hmm. So so my wife is my business partner. And mm -hmm. so Vanessa and I were, it's pretty amazing that we get to, you know, we even though there's aren't other clients coming in right now, that we have a place to go away from our little home environment mm -hmm. to kind of, to yeah. de-stress. I know a lot of friends that, who are still working are just like, if we didn't, if we couldn't go to work right now, mm -hmm. you know, we need, even we need to be able to focus on something, uh, on something else for, for periods of time. And I, I really feel for people that, that are stuck in a, in, in one environment right now. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love my kids to death, right? Like it's, and it's, it's great. But if, if I was, we know what's coming next. For, yeah. <laughs> I love them. They're great. I wouldn't trade them for anything except a little, but, uh, a lot of peace of mind, maybe, <laughs> but I hate their guts and they don't do the dishes Yeah. <laughs> and they're teenagers, but they're that's, teenagers. that's well, a phase. I'm sure. Yeah. Give them a guitar. They'll learn something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my daughter and I, my daughter and I've been making a little music together. So no, that's fun. sweet. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, that's, yeah. So do your kids grow up musical too, then? That's the question. Is your wife oh, musical yeah. as well? She, she is. Yeah. yeah. She's also a perfectionist. So it prevents her from, Record. from just playing for fun because she's just like, well, I'm not, yeah, I don't yeah. really like what I just did. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, and my daughter has those, has those tendencies too. Like, um, I'm a perfectionist as well, but I've done it for, you know, I've played music for so long that I'm, I'm actually, I'm kind of an, I'll call myself, uh, I'm newly back to violin. Like I quit when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but I was actually quite advanced. Mm -hmm. And then when I would pick it up, I would think, oh, I'm just falling way short of what I used to do. But now I've, I'm kind of at the point where I just don't care and I'm just going to play again. And as soon as I do that, the floodgates of all the skills just start coming back. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's pretty great to kind of encounter the instrument again fresh well it's like they talk uh, there's a there's a book on boxing called the sweet science by aj liebling and uh, usually i can't remember words or names of things but that one that one came to me right now but uh he, he he quotes an old uh an old boxing guy in a bar complaining that the kids don't start boxing early enough because and they don't have enough um uh natural natural uh fighting ability built in that that's by rote and uh, he says so they're they're never they're always thinking about what they're going to do um or is it how does he say it he says they're they can't well, think thinking of, they thinking can't, about it as opposed to just doing it well they can't think about what they're going to do because they're always thinking about what they're going to do you know what i mean so they can't they can't have a, a boxing strategy because they're always trying to figure out now how to box whereas when they started younger and built those skills they can, those skills are natural. So if they want to want to do a combination, it just happens. So for yeah. you, when you pick up violin, you go, man, I'm inspired by that thing I just heard. And I'm going to play like that. You can. And so what you're doing is you're, you're playing like that. You're not worried about how to play like that. Yeah, that, that, that totally makes sense. And, and for, you know, for any competitive sports or games, like if you think about, okay, the ball is coming over here, so I'm going to run to the side and now I'm going to, kick mm -hmm. you're you're already behind the game because yeah. people that have practiced it their bodies know what to do and they're already doing it 
Yeah, the fundamentals. And they've already kicked the ball. Yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah, why exactly. kids get mad when they're older and they go, why do I have to learn this passing back and forth? It's like, well, it's called fundamentals. And you don't want to it's be... fundamentals. You don't want to not be able to do this when you need to do it. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. And, and, you know, so my daughter's in the, in the provincial cycling program and there's this fine line between, cause obviously cycling is a lot about your cardio, right. Mm-hmm. But there's also, there's also the skills and then the, the ability to kind of, I guess, ride through the pain. Like if it's not ideal conditions, if it's, mm-hmm. if it's long, if it's bumpy, whatever, whatever it is, just even having those experiences as a kid. And then when, when it, when you, when you get in the game, mm-hmm. you know, later on, it's like, well, I've, I've done this before, no big deal. And you can, you know, you can, you can go through it, but there's always this, this fight between like, you don't want to train kids athletically. I mean, at least I don't think you don't want to train them over, over train them. Yeah. Um, but they, you want them to develop the skill set, like you're saying, like boxing or whatever. Yeah. And then the free time, they don't have, seems, seems these days, they don't have that free, free unstructured time where you've learned some baseball and then just in your backyard, you're, you're trying it out over and over on your own, just totally. trying to get good at hitting the ball. And then you go, oh, okay, I could do that now. And then you go off and do something else. Whereas now it's like, no, you got to, you got another half hour hitting that ball. And they're like, ah, oh, geez, you know, it's like, that's not where my brain's well, and, at. And now with the know? pandemic, they've got, they've got unstructured time, Yeah, but now they've got nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Weird, just, eh? What a weird world. It's, it's, it's super weird. Oh my, yeah. The kids are, the kids are depressed. We're going to deal with a lot of depression problems. Huh. I would think. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like my, my daughter's an extrovert. She's, you know, she's on the, she's on the, on the cycling team. Well, they need to ride together, right? She loves to sing. She's in at, at miles max school. Hmm. She made it, she tried out and made it into the, the prodigy ensemble, which is like an eight person kind of pop jazz vocal ensemble. And, and that just like energized her. I've never, I've almost never seen her so energized. Yeah. And now she doesn't have it. Yeah. Right. So not only does she not have it, but she doesn't have her school friends other than on, on, on chat and she's stuck at home. So like you've taken, it's the, it's the fault of, of the virus, right. Of, but these, the kids have had so much stuff taken away yeah. right now. And so they don't know what, they don't know what to do with it. Like she wants, she'll basically sleep until noon yeah. <laughs> until she has a online class. So aren't you enough of a psychologist, like having worked with uh, musicians that you can, like, do you find that a part of your job job description too? Oh, like it's 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 as important as the technical knowledge, if yeah. not more. Oh yeah, you can ru- you can ruin an entire session by by not em- empathetically knowing where um, where a person's at. Yeah, you can just you can just ruin it, and and or conversely, not bring the best out in that session. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I find it harder with my kids. <laughs> than, yeah then because I've, I'm so confident, I'm confident in working with people at the studio. And I've always got like a, you know, I can shut up. I can eat my ego. You know, I can, I don't have to be right. Mm-hmm. Those are skills that I've had to learn, yeah. but those skills are, are, I think as important as any of the, any of the knob twisting and signal routing. Yeah. And sometimes you got to whip them. Come on, do it again. Ah, it's going to be good this time. Some, it's going to be great. <laughs> only so. Yeah. Well, yeah. Depends what kind of whip, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Use the wrong whip and it's, it's shot. Yeah. Especially when they're paying it and you're like, oh, geez. It's like well, in they, the old days, the records label's paying. So they're like, whip them into shape. 
And nowadays no, people are coming for themselves. You're and, absolutely, yeah. you're absolutely right. Like primarily people that come to me want to work with me personally because they're mm-hmm. the artist, whether they have a grant or whether, even yeah. if they have label backing, but, but yeah, back in the day it was like, well, make this the best as possible. And that's, that's the job description. Well, if the drummer's not playing well, the producer's going to hire another one. Yep. That's the business model. Happened to the Beatles. Oh, my word. Yeah. The Beach Boys didn't play on their stuff either, but that yep. was probably by choice. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, oh, I was going to ask you, I guess we'll end on this question. How come you're only named after half the Beatles? <laughs> Thanks for not asking me about the Pope. The Pope. <laughs> no, I, I figured the Italian stuff was probably de rigueur, but, uh, <laughs> I, I was actually, uh, I was. Well, I was born in, in 1976. Yeah. And so actually three months before they named John Paul one. So I got my name before there was a Pope John Paul, just, okay. just putting that out there Yeah. for all, for all the mockery I got in, in uh, elementary school, John Pope, John Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. No wonder but it drove you into as, your own isolated room to play the violin. <laughs> my parents were not Beatles fans. So yeah. there's no relation actually. Weird. Weird. Right. Well, now Otherwise, in... I would have been like JPR, John Paul Ringo, or something like that. Yeah, you could have the four names. I was thinking now you can change <laughs> it to John Paul George Ringo. <laughs> uh, that would be that would be funny. Actually, I was deprived of a second name because John Paul is is spaced, mm. not hyphenated, but mm-hmm. is technically my first name. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, I guess Paul is my second. No, Paul is my second name, but I was always called John Paul, so yeah. I never really got the the secret second name that people are supposed to have. Should have been George. Yeah. Well, well, hey, you're an adult. You can go down to the records office and, <laughs> and fix that. <laughs> right? You mean the music store? The music yeah. store, yeah. <laughs> Wherever. Wherever you change your name. <laughs> Usually happens in the studio at midnight when you write that song. You're like, oh my God, my life's changed now. Wait until this is the charts. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to release this podcast, see how high in the charts it goes. And, cool. Um, pump it up. Maybe. And if, it, if it's not, feel free to fire my drummer. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there've been no worries about that. But um, probably the bass player's fault. I think it's it's in the marketing department's uh, bailiwick now, and uh, we'll have to gather some dough to get some payola going. And um, yeah, this should chart. We should have a sounds a, great a world tour out of this one. <laughs> I, I I realize that at a certain point I may have been chewing on a potato or or something else, and I was like, oh, I shouldn't be eating while I'm talking to you on the phone. So I hope there isn't. <laughs> I hope there isn't any uh, like overtly chewy kind of sound but no i had the potato filter on i was I, I, oh good i caught that <laughs> and i flipped that right? on and it filtered it out nice <laughs> well i'm sure i, I know isotope, isotope rx has a filter for just about every problem i don't i haven't seen the potato filter on there well let me but. go see what garage band has in the, in the yeah. built-in <laughs> i'm sure there's i'm sure there's or just one just there. or just play a fancy synth note over top of the uh, the error and it'll not be noticeable Okay, so huge, huge thank you, a huge Manitobaville thank you to John Paul Peters. That was a great interview. Yeah, I can understand how John feels. Uh, there's lots going on and lots of different genres and lots of different projects. And, and it's sort of like the same here where you go from one, one great interview to another and you're sort of zinging between worlds and uh, slamming into ideascapes and <laughs> sliding down hills of thought and uh, twirling on the ice of... Uh, of just indecision of who to talk to next. There's so many great things out there, but um, it's it's fun to record things and get them down, and uh, and just know you got some something in the can, the special because it is 
This is Manitobaville. I'm Mahangel, and thank you for listening. Okay, see you next time on the next episode. Tell your friends and use that Manitobaville moniker there to uh, find us everywhere you go, follow us, rate us, review us, etc., etc., etc. Should we put some echo on that, John? Can you just, uh, no, okay, John's gone. <laughs> so, okay, we're on our own, so no echo for that, 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 that. Okay, and just a reminder to all you uh, would-be thieves out there that for copyright 2022 by Rodeo Road Studios. Mm-hmm.